Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Acts, chapter 13 and verse 40. Acts 13.40 for our message from God's Word this morning. That's a verse that will be found on page 1167 if you're using the church Bible. Today's date is September 25th, 2022. Today's text will be in Acts 13 verse 40. Right on down through verse 47. And the title of this morning's message is Beware of God. You've heard of Beware of Dog? Well, this is Beware of God. And speaking of having to beware of things... I feel it's my duty to tell you to beware of leaving things in your car in plain sight. Because last week, somebody in Wisconsin gave me two tickets to the next Packer game. And I left them in my car while shopping at Jewel. And sure enough, when I got back to the car, somebody had smashed in my window and left me two more tickets. (laughs) Because nobody in Illinois wants to go see the Packers, right? Well, (laughs) that's not true, of course. But speaking of telling people to beware, here in Acts 13, the Apostle Paul is preaching a message in the synagogue in Antioch. And he decides to close his message by telling those unsaved Jews to beware of something. We see that in the first two verses of our text in Acts 13, 40, and 41, where we read these words. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets, Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that that word prophet in verse 40 at the end there, is plural. That means Paul is warning them about something that a couple of the prophets talked about, right? The first quote is from Isaiah 29, 
a prophecy that we're going to look at carefully in its context. It starts out in your first cross-reference in Isaiah 29.10, where the prophet wrote, The Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes. Now that's a prediction of how God shut the eyes of the Jews after they crucified the Lord and stoned his prophet Stephen. And you're probably thinking, well, how do you know that? <laughs> well, I know it because a fuller quote of Isaiah 29.10 in your next reference says, The Lord hath closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers, that's another name for prophets, they'd see the future, the seers hath he covered their eyes. Well, I don't have to tell you it was Israel's rulers in Jerusalem who slew the Lord and forced God to, to blind Israel by closing their eyes. Paul just finished reminding these Jews in Antioch about that. Back in verse 27, back in your Bible now, look at verses 27 and 28. Remember when he told these Jews in Antioch, they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew the Lord not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they fulfilled the prophets in condemning the Lord. And though they found no cause of death in Christ, yet desired they Pontius Pilate that he should be slain. Now all of those theys there, uh, with those Paul was telling these Jews in Antioch, you guys aren't to blame for the death of our Messiah. Why should you remain blind just because those bozo rulers of yours rejected our Messiah? And then he went on to tell them about Christ and encourage them to believe on the Lord. But now, don't get the wrong idea when Isaiah said that God closed their eyes after that. God never closes anybody's eyes to keep them from believing the gospel. He closed the eyes of the Jews who crucified the Lord because they didn't believe the gospel. Now, if you're still not convinced, though, that Isaiah is talking about the rulers in our Lord's day, look at the next reference in Matthew 13, 15, because there the Lord quotes that verse we've been looking at in Isaiah 29, and he applies it 
to the people of his generation. Look at Matthew 13, 15. Let's see if it doesn't sound like the verse in Isaiah we're studying. For this people's ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted. Do you see how it's saying that they didn't want to understand the gospel, so they closed their own eyes to it, lest they understand it and get converted? So, when Paul quotes Isaiah 29 here in Acts 13, he's warning these Jews in Antioch not to close their eyes to the gospel like their rulers did. All right, now let's get to the verse in Isaiah that Paul is quoting in your next reference in Isaiah 29 and verse 14. Therefore God told Israel back then, Behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. So, what is the the work that God was talking about doing that would make those Jews marvel at it? Well, how do we interpret the Scripture? Isn't it by comparing Scripture with Scripture? Let's look at that other prophet that Paul is quoting. Remember it says in the prophets, plural. That's in Habakkuk 1, verses 5 and 6. I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For, lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land, the land of Israel, to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Now that little word for there, that means that the work that Habakkuk was telling the Jews to beware of was God's work of raising up the Chaldeans to conquer Israel because of their continued rebellion against God. And the Chaldeans, well, they were otherwise known as who? Anybody? Say it loud and say it proud. Those were the Babylonians, folks. Chaldean was the language that they spoke. But now why would Paul be quoting that? If you know your Bible, you know that the Babylonians conquered Israel 1,500 years before Paul was quoting that warning. So why would Paul quote Habakkuk to warn the Jews in his day to beware of something that happened 1,500 years earlier? Well, the answer is 
A lot of those Old Testament prophets had two fulfillments. One that happened back in the Old Testament and one that would happen long time in the future. For instance, Jeremiah 51.44 says, The wall of Babylon shall fall. After Babylon conquered Israel and a bunch of other nations, they got conquered. But that happened 2,500 years ago, 1,500 years before Paul's warning them there. But here, Babylon is going to rise again in the tribulation, right? It's going to be the church of the Antichrist. And it'll fall again, as it says in Revelation 18.21. With violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down. As a matter of fact, the king of Babylon was a type of the Antichrist. So, in quoting those prophets, the Apostle Paul was not telling them to beware of Nebuchadnezzar. He was telling them to beware of the man that Nebuchadnezzar typified, the Antichrist. That's why he's quoting that prophecy. He's saying, you guys here in Antioch need to get saved or you're going to get left behind at the rapture and you'll have to face the Antichrist in the tribulation. You remember Paul didn't think the dispensation of grace would last very long, did he? Talked about we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. But now, while that answers the question of what Paul was warning them about, it doesn't explain why Paul would tell them that the Antichrist they needed to beware of was something that they wouldn't believe even if a man told them about it. If you know the Old Testament, you know there's, there's plenty of warnings about the Antichrist and the tribulation in, in the Old Testament prophets. So why would those Jews have trouble believing something that the prophets said would come? Well, let me give you a fuller explain, uh, uh, reading version, quotation I should say, of what Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 1, 5, and 6. Because I left a couple words out. He said, Behold, Ye among the heathen, you Jews among the heathen, the Gentiles, you should wonder and marvel, for I will work in your days, uh, I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it be told you. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Habakkuk was warning the Jews who lived far away from Israel out among those heathen Gentiles. You know, when those Jews out there heard God say that he was going to let Nebuchadnezzar conquer Israel, 
they were tempted to think, well, we may be Jews, but we don't live in Israel. We're safe out here among the heathen Gentiles. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's not going to conquer us when he conquers Israel. But let me ask you, did God just let Nebuchadnezzar conquer Israel? Or did he let him conquer all the nations? Well, we studied the book of Daniel, and you know he did. All those nations that had Jews in them out among the heathen. And Paul is quoting Habakkuk to warn these Jews in Antioch that Antichrist isn't just going to conquer Israel. He's going to conquer all the nations. And that would include the nation of Syria where Antioch was. So Paul's telling them, just because it was your rulers who rejected Christ and not you, don't think that God's not going to use Antichrist to chasten you along with them. In other words... Just because you live 800 miles away from Israel, don't find it so hard to believe that you're going to be judged if you don't believe. Just like God's going to judge Israel's rulers because they didn't believe. And there was something else those Jews in Antioch would find it hard to believe. It was something that Jews in Isaiah's day also had trouble believing. And that was that God would use a Gentile like Nebuchadnezzar to do his will in chastening Israel. (laughs) Do you know what God called Nebuchadnezzar in your next reference in Jeremiah 25.9? He said, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I'll bring those families of the north and Nebuchadnezzar against this land of Israel and against all these nations round about, and I will utterly destroy them. Now, reading that, those Old Testament Jews found it hard to believe God would call a Gentile like Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Even though men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk were uh, declaring it to them. And the Apostle Paul here is quoting those prophets because the Jews in Antioch here were finding it hard to believe what he was declaring to them. And that was that God is now using the Gentiles to do his will in the dispensation of grace. Folks, the Jews are not God's servants anymore. The Gentiles are. 
And the reason the Jews found that hard to believe is because they had been the servants of God for 2,000 years. And now they're not anymore. All right. We're not told how those Jews here in Antioch liked hearing all of that, <laughs> that warning from their prophets. But we know the Gentiles liked it because it says in verse 42 in your Bible now, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath day. Now, you know that Gentiles, they weren't allowed in the synagogue, but they were allowed to hang around outside and listen through the window. <laughs> and they were liking what they heard that day, especially what Paul told them in those verses we looked at last week, up in verses 38 and 39. Let's read those verses again. Paul told the Jews in the synagogue, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now the Gentiles really liked that part because the Jews had been telling them, you know, you got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And they were talking about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. And those Gentiles knew they couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. So, after they heard Paul tell the Jews, well, you can be justified without the law. Now they said, Come next Sabbath day and tell those words to us. We like the sound of that. But now we do know that some of the Jews liked what they heard and believed because of what it says in verse 43 in your Bible. Now when the congregation was broken up, everybody left and went home, Many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. And they must have got saved by grace because it says that Paul and Barnabas speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Some of those unsaved Jews got saved by grace along with some of the proselytes. Proselytes were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, but obviously they were still as unsaved as the, Jew, as the Jews who converted them. So when they got saved by grace, Paul told them all, Jews and proselytes, to continue in the grace of God that saved them and not do what the Galatians did later and go back to the law. But now, look what happened next in verse 44 in your Bible. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Well, that sounds like an awful lot of Gentiles, doesn't it? I'm sure Paul and Barnabas were 
thrilled to see such a good turnout like that. But the Jews who didn't believe on the Lord, they weren't as happy to see that turnout as it says in your next verse in your Bible now in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Now there you're seeing what we talked about earlier this morning during our scripture reading. You're seeing, uh, back in the scripture reading, we saw that a Jew was blinded and he tried to get a Gentile to keep him from being saved, right? Well, when I went through that passage, I reminded you that that was what was going to continue to happen in the book of Acts. Those unsaved Jews that God blinded, they were going to try to keep the Gentiles from believing. Well, we sure didn't have to wait very long before we saw that picture that we saw in our scripture reading acted out here, did we? That these Jews in Antioch are doing it. Well, up until this point, the Apostle Paul has been talking to those Jews in a deferential way. But when those unsaved men started blaspheming, the gloves came off. And the Apostle Paul, he quit beating around the bush. Look what he said to him in verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, listen. The way that they judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life was by not believing the gospel and getting saved. Listen, in God's eyes, none of us are worthy of everlasting life. But you can become worthy of everlasting life by believing the gospel. But... Why does Paul say in verse 46 that it was necessary to go to the Jews first with the word of God? Well, what's the first word of that next verse in verse 47? No, don't read me the verse. The first word is the word for, right? That word tells you that Paul is about to tell those Jews why. It was necessary for Paul to go to the Jews first and then turn to the Gentiles if the Jews didn't believe it. Look at verse 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, and he's going to quote the Old Testament here, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. 
Now, Paul is quoting Isaiah again. He's quoting Isaiah 49. And he's quoting it there to explain why he had to go to the Jew first and then turn to the Gentiles. And I got to tell you, that makes a lot of grace believers nervous because they know that nothing Paul did was predicted in the Old Testament because Paul was part of God's mystery program, right? So, before we look at Isaiah 49, let me remind you of something that James said when he first heard about Paul's new mystery ministry among the Gentiles. In Acts 15.15, Paul said, To this agree the words of the prophet. James heard what Paul was doing and he said, Hmm, that doesn't fulfill the prophets, but it sure agrees with the words of the prophets. That is, it didn't contradict the prophets. The prophets predicted that somebody would go to the Jews first and then turn to the Gentiles when the Jews didn't believe. So now let's continue in Isaiah 49 to see who Isaiah was originally talking about. The chapter starts out in Isaiah 49, 1-3. Where Isaiah says, The Lord hath called me from the womb, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. And he said to me, Thou art my servant, O Israel. Now, Isaiah is speaking prophetically about some true servants of God, some believing servants of God who would live sometime in the future. And he's talking about that little flock of people who follow the Lord and the twelve apostles especially. God drew the twelve apostles from the warm safe womb of Judaism. And he put a sword in their hands. And you know what sword he's talking about? The one Paul talks about in Ephesians 6.17. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. That's what the Lord put in the hands of the twelve apostles. But now let me ask you this. Didn't the Lord do all that for the Apostle Paul as well? Look at Galatians 1. Paul says, I profited in the Jews' religion and Judaism, but God separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. God drew the Apostle Paul out of the, the warm, safe womb of the Jews' religion. And he put the sword of the Spirit in Paul's hand too, right? So, while Isaiah was talking about the twelve apostles, 
what he said about the twelve apostles agreed with what we now know to be true about Paul. See how that works? Now look what else Isaiah said about the twelve in Isaiah 49, 1 and 2. The Lord hath made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath the Lord hid me. Now you know what a quiver is, right? It's that thing that tube on the back of an archer where he keeps his arrows. And listen, back in those days, archers uh, couldn't run down to Arrows R Us to buy their arrows. Or that archery store over on Union Avenue. Anybody ever been in there? I need to go in. I've been living around here 40 years. and <laughs> But uh, in those days, they had to make their own arrows and then polish the shaft if they wanted the arrow to fly straight. And all of that is talking about the 12 apostles too. Look what it says in Psalm 127. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is God's reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, talking about the twelve in the hands of Christ, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. Now, I know that those verses there are talking about children, but do you know what the Lord called the twelve apostles in John thirteen thirty three? Little children. The twelve apostles became the children of God, the fruit of of the womb of Judaism when the Lord called him out of the womb like a baby is when he's born. And he polished them into the arrows that he would need them to be. But, once again, wasn't all that true of Paul? Wasn't he also a child of God? Didn't he do what Psalm 127.3 says and speak with God's enemies in the gate? Don't forget, the gate is where the leaders of government used to meet out in the open and public. And Paul spoke to leaders in government like Felix and Festus and Agrippa, just like the twelve apostles spoke to the leaders of Israel's government back in the early chapters of the book of Acts. We studied those chapters. But look back up there in verse 49, uh, chapter 49 and verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah, a couple references ago there. Why did Isaiah call the twelve apostles a hidden arrow? Well, if you know your Old Testament, no, I'm sorry, if you know your New Testament, you know that when the Lord began his ministry, he began in Jerusalem. But it didn't take long before the rulers decided they were going to kill him instead of receive him. When that happened, 
he took his 12 apostles out of Jerusalem and he went preaching out there among the other towns and cities. And when he did that, he hid them. He hid them from those rulers who were trying to kill him. That's why Isaiah called them a hidden arrow. But Paul was also a hidden arrow because he was part of the mystery. What did Paul say about the mystery in Ephesians 3.9? The mystery from the beginning of the world hath been what? Hid in God. So, being a hidden arrow is something else that Isaiah said about the twelve apostles that agrees with what we know about Paul. Alright, let's look at something else that Isaiah said in your next reference. Isaiah 49, 1 and 2 again. The Lord said, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now i got to tell you, if I were one of the twelve apostles and I knew that was about me, I'd ask God, well, how are you going to be glorified in me? The Jews rejected me when I told them about your son. And you know what? That's pretty much what Isaiah predicted that they would say in your next reference in Isaiah 49 and verse 4. Then I said... I've labored it. You're telling me I'll be glorified. You're going to be glorified in me. I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for naught and in vain. Well, doesn't that sound like something that one of the twelve apostles might say after the Jews responded to their preaching by stoning Stephen? Sure. Well, as we read on, we're going to see what the Lord. Uh, what Isaiah predicted that the Lord would answer the twelve apostles in Isaiah 49.5. He said, And now saith the Lord that formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob or Israel back again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yeah, I heard you, I know you feel like you labored in vain. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious. God told the twelve, I'm going to be glorified even though Israel refused to be gathered. Well, how was that going to happen? Well, I can tell you this. It didn't happen way back there. But it will someday in the kingdom. Look at the next verse in Isaiah 49. Verse 6. God said to Israel, to the twelve especially, it is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. That's great that we're going to get Israel gathered and and to restore the preserved of Israel. But I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mightest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. God is saying he's going to be glorious when someday he uses the twelve apostles. He's going to raise them from the dead in the kingdom. He's going to use them not just to gather Israel, but also to be a light to the Gentiles. 
That's when salvation's going to go to the ends of the earth. So, it was the twelve who were supposed to turn to the Gentiles and be a light to them in the kingdom after they rejected uh, Christ 2,000 years ago. That's what Isaiah went on to say in Isaiah 49, 7 and 8. Thus saith the Lord, to him whom the nation abhorreth. This is God speaking to the twelve apostles. Kings shall see and arise. Princes shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful to you. In an accepted time have I heard thee. And in a day of salvation have I helped thee. God is telling the twelve apostles there, the nation of Israel abhorred you. But in the kingdom, they're going to receive you and you can turn to the Gentiles so the Gentiles can receive you too. But listen here, folks. God had no intention of waiting for the kingdom to give light unto Gentiles like us. He made Paul a light to the Gentiles in the meantime. Paul quotes that verse about the twelve being a light to the Gentiles and he applies it to himself. And he also quotes that part of being an accepted time there. Look at your next reference in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Paul quotes him, he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, or helped thee. That's what that word means if you look at the end of the previous reference there. Behold, the kingdom is the accepted time. Is that what yours says? No, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Isaiah said that the accepted time to turn to the Gentiles and see them get saved will be in the kingdom. Paul says it's now in the dispensation of grace. Salvation is going to go to the ends of the earth in the kingdom after God raises those twelve from the dead and makes them alike to the Gentiles. But that's according to prophecy, folks. In the meantime, salvation has gone to the ends of the earth in the last 2,000 years through Paul, not according to prophecy, according to the mystery. And that didn't fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. But it sure agreed with it. It agreed with what God planned to do all along. Save the Gentiles through a Jew. A Jew like the Apostle Paul. But now, now that Paul is with the Lord, you and I are God's light to the world. And I got a recommendation for you. If you've ever told someone to, to beware of hell and get saved, and whoever you're talking to, he or she, didn't seem to be really scared of hell, you might want to try what Paul did in this passage and warn them 
that if they don't get saved, hell is not the only thing they got to worry about. Because if they miss the rapture, they're going to be left behind to face the beast, the Antichrist, and go through the Great Tribulation. You know what I've found over the years? Sometimes that scares people more than the thought of going to hell. I think it's because they can't conceptualize a fire that burns forever, and they're in it, and they never burn up. Now, we've talked many times about how God knows how to make a fire like that because he proved it at the burning bush. Moses is walking along. He sees a bush on fire. Not unusual in those days. A bolt of lightning or whatever. But as he keeps walking, the bush doesn't burn up. And folks, that shows you God knows how to make a fire that burns. But doesn't burn you up. But sometimes unsaved men, they can't conceptualize that. But let me tell you, they can. when you tell them that without the mark of the beast they won't be able to buy food, they can conceptualize that. So that might be a thing you might want to try. I've noticed over the... Sometimes you hear about uh, churches have a movie about the Antichrist or they've made you know, different ones on the, the Left Behind series and such. And so people get saved from watching those things because people get scared. And I know there... Years ago I heard a... <laughs> There was a famous preacher who said that, you know, there are some people who say we shouldn't try to scare people into, into getting saved, but it's better to be hell scared than hell scorched. Right? And I believe that's true. So, just a word of advice, you might want to try. If everything else you've told your unsaved friend doesn't, doesn't get them to believe on the Lord, maybe that will. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the genius that we've seen you put forth in these words today. And how even though the people of Israel rejected you, nothing could stop your plan to show the light of the gospel to the Gentiles. The only thing that can stop it is if we refuse to be the lights that we should be. So we pray that you uh, put that on our hearts as we leave today. And we pray it in the Savior's name.